Hebrews, we're reading in Hebrews chapter 3 today. We finished Hebrews chapter 2. And what we saw in Hebrews chapter 2 was really something quite amazing about solidarity. And so let me just mention that again in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had power of death, that is the devil. <clears throat> so it says, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. The solidarity of a father toward a son. The solidarity of Jesus toward his children. In solidarity, because we were bound by flesh and blood, he took on flesh and blood. That is the reason why he took on flesh and blood. It says it right here, in solidarity with us. So there's these words of encouragement that come to us. <clears throat> Then in Hebrews chapter 3, we covered the first portion of Hebrews chapter 3. So in Hebrews chapter 1, what was happening is that that, uh, the writer is showing us that Jesus uh, is superior to angels in his deity. Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus is superior to angels in his humanity. And Hebrews chapter 3, that Jesus is superior to Moses. That Jesus is superior to Moses. And so he goes into this in Hebrews chapter 3, which we had read about last time in the beginning of of Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked Me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried Me by testing Me and saw My works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they did not know my ways. And I swore in their wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So you see that that now we've come off this point where there was this great encouragement and he goes back into warning. This is what Christian life is all about. There are times of encouragement and there are times of warning. This is what life is all about. There are times of encouragement. There are times of warning and instruction. He's now going into a phase of warning and instruction here. He says, today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, he uses this word today three times in this chapter. Today, today, today. He is taking Old Testament passage and he is applying it to their New Testament situation of that day. So remember what was going on here. You had the Hebrews, the Jewish people that lived in Judea around Jerusalem, not part of Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, but around Jerusalem, thinking about going back into Judaism because of the persecution that was coming upon them. We're at 66 to 68 AD. And Jesus, Jesus is, is warning them, saying, if you do go back into Judaism, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to lose your physical life. It is not a loss of salvation. So what he's quoting from here in verse 7 all the way down through verse 11 is he's quoting from Psalm 95. So Psalm 95 is a much later writing about an event that happened at Kadesh Barnea. So you can, you can see the children of Israel in the wilderness between Exodus chapter 7 and Numbers chapter 20. So bracketed in there, you see the children of Israel in the wilderness between Exodus chapter 7 and Numbers chapter 20. And it documents their many refusals to, to trust in God. 
to believe in God, such that in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you have the occurrence of Kadesh Barnea. In Kadesh Barnea, what happened was Moses sent out spies into, into uh, uh, what was to be their land. They had wandered in the wilderness just one year. During that year, they had seen 10 miracles occur. And they had, they had disbelieved God 10 times. They're right on the, on, on the forefront of going into the promised land. He sends in 12 spies. The 12 spies come back. 10 of them say, all of them testified, all 12 of them said, it is exactly what God said. The land overflows with milk and honey, exactly like God told us. However, 10 of them said, look, the guys who live there are really big. I mean, we, we, we just can't defeat them. Their cities are fortified. They have these huge walls around them. There's no way we could win. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, say, look, calm down, everybody. We can do it. They will become our prey, they said. They will become our prey. What happened is the congregation took the advice of the ten over the advice of the two. And, and this is common practice, as you see in the scriptures, that they thought the majority was always right. But it was not that the majority was always right. It was actually Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua were hearing from the Lord. And they were going to kill Caleb and Joshua and probably Moses and Aaron that day as well. And God interceded and God stepped in. And then God executed judgment on the nation of Israel. The children of Israel realized that God had now interceded and they felt bad about what they had done. Moses said, you're not going in that land. You're going to die in the wilderness. And so they said, no, we'll take the land. And he said, I'm warning you, don't try it. God's no longer with you. You're going to die in the wilderness. And so this is what happened in in Kadesh Barnea. So what I want you to do, I I want you to turn to Numbers Numbers chapter 14. In Numbers chapter 14, you will see just a little piece of this in Numbers chapter 14. And we're going to start reading from verse 19. Numbers chapter 14, verse 19. And Moses is now praying for the people who are saying, Lord, forgive us. I mean, the Lord came in in great terror and uh, uh, protected these four men, Caleb and Joshua, Moses and Aaron. And, and Moses is praying for the people. He says, pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people. Numbers 14, verse 19. According to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt... And in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. And then he goes on to talk about uh, uh, Joshua as well. So here he gives this promise that they're not getting into the land. They did not lose their salvation. And it's really important to see this because he says in verse 20, I have pardoned them. I have pardoned them. According to your word, meaning according to your prayer, Moses, I have pardoned them. So it's not an issue of salvation. To these Jews living around Jerusalem, it is not an issue of salvation. It is an issue 
of physical protection because if they go back to Jerusalem and go back under Judaism, they are going to die in the 70 AD judgment, which is just about to hit them. Remember, this is 66 to 68 AD. We know very clearly when Jesus died to the day. And we know this, that, that, that this occurred in 30 AD. We know this because of, of uh, um, the, the, the Sabbath, the Passover fell on the Sabbath, which is an occasion that can only happen once every seven years. And so we know precisely. We know when Jesus was born roughly. We don't know the exact day, but we know the approximate year. It was approximately 5 BC to 7 BC. He died in about 30, he died in 30 AD. And so this is, this is, uh, very well mapped out. So now we are 66 to 68 AD. We are very close to the destruction that's going to come upon Jerusalem where all the Jews in that city are going to die at the hands of the Romans. This is what he's warning them about. So turn back to, to Hebrews, turn back to Hebrews chapter three. Now remember, Moses died in the wilderness because of his, his disobedience. Aaron died in the wilderness. But we know that though they died in the wilderness, their salvation wasn't lost. And we know specifically because of Moses, Moses appears on the Mount of Transfiguration. So that's in Matthew chapter 17, verse 3, and Luke chapter 9, verse 30. Jesus is on that mountain with, with Moses and with Elijah. So the disciples actually see Moses. So he's very much alive and you know, he's consulting with Jesus on earth. So we know he hasn't gone to hell. So just because, just because there was judgment, there was physical judgment proclaimed upon the masses of the people there. That wasn't their, their eternal salvation. The eternal salvation is not lost. So what he does here in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, Today, if you hear his voice, he's bringing it back to today. He is quoting from Psalm 95. Psalm 95 says exactly the same thing. And this author of the book of Hebrews does something that very few uh, New Testament authors do, where he takes large portions from the Old Testament and applies it to them today. This is exactly what we are supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be taking the Word of God and applying it to our lives. People say, well, you took that out of context. Well, the whole Bible is not me. I mean, it, I mean, I mean so it, it, it doesn't apply to me at all? No, this is exactly what we are supposed to do. We take this and we personalize it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. This was a huge provocation in Kadesh Barnea. When God opened up the land to them, remember we just read in Numbers, they provoked me seven t- uh, ten times. That was the tenth time, the tenth, the tenth provocation. And this was the mother of all provocations at Kadesh Barnea, where, where, where they, they, uh, um, they doubted him and wouldn't go into the land. He says, do not harden your hearts. You see how personal this is? Do not harden your hearts. It's not some external influence coming upon us that, oh, I've been hardened by this external influence. No, he is saying to the individual, do not harden your heart. The hardening of a heart is something that we are responsible for. There's lots of things going on around us. Lots of things in life that hit us. Lots of blows come at us in life. But the hardening of the heart is an individual thing. He says, do not harden your hearts. He wouldn't tell us not to harden our hearts if we didn't have the capability to harden our hearts. If it were all extrinsic, 
he, he wouldn't tell us this. There is the ability within us. He says, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. So now he's claiming not just Kadesh Barnea, he's going right on out to Numbers chapter 20, all the way on out to the entire time of provocation, 40 year period. Why does he mention 40 years? Because 40 years are coming up. He may not have known the exact day but he knew it was coming. Jesus had proclaimed and prophesied the destruction to that city. It was going to be between two and four years that destruction to that city was going to come. And so that's why he's mentioning again, this 40 years is a big number for them. It's an important number for them. They saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation. Look at this verse. It's a very odd construction in this verse. Therefore, I was angry with this generation. Huh? If you look back in, in, in Psalm 90, 95, where this is written, this is the way it reads. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. That's a much more natural writing. Therefore, I was angry, meaning the Kadesh Barnea, the, the, the Exodus generation, those that came out of Egypt. I was angry with that generation. I was angry with that generation. You don't say, I was angry with this generation. But what the New Testament writer did is he changed the word that to this. Do you see how much he personalized this? You say, no, 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 no. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't change that. Well, he's writing the Bible. I mean, he must know what he's doing. God put it in here. God was okay with him applying something that occurred long ago to that generation in which he was living. He said, I was angry with this generation. You see, he personalizes it. God takes history and tells us to personalize this. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul Underscores that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Do this in remembrance of me. We take that which is in the past and we make it personal to us today. He says, therefore, I was angry with this generation. What applies to them applies to us. This is why these writings have been given to us. And, and said, they always go astray in their heart. Look where it starts. It starts in their heart. It's not that they always go astray and, you know, run to the seediest part of town and just throw themselves upon the mercies of the world. No, it starts in the heart. They always go astray in their heart. They did not know my ways, and I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The rest in the, will, in, in the Exodus generation was that they, he told them they would not go into the promised land. That promised land was going to be a time of rest from their enemies. There's also rest that comes in the church. There's rest. There's future rest that God speaks of for them. It was the rest, the peace that would come through living in the land of Canaan. They were supposed to go in that land. 39 years later, they ultimately went in that land, but not the Exodus generation. It was the wilderness generation. Those born in the wilderness and those that had come out of Egypt that were less than 20 years old. 
Then he, then he goes on to say in verse 12, take care, brethren. So again, he's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers. He said the same thing in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, for partakers of the heavenly calling. He is speaking to believers. He's not speaking to unbelievers. Take care. What does take care mean? Look to yourself. Look to yourself. Take this upon yourself, my brothers, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Look at how he characterizes a heart that falls away from the living God as evil. It is evil. It is unbelieving and it falls away from the living God. But encourage one another. Day after day, as long as it is still called today. Again, he underscores this word today. Today, we are to encourage one another as long as it is still called today. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see how insidious sin is. He says it is deceitful. You think you're doing okay and you're not. This is how deceitful sin is. He says, but encourage one another. So he's, he's drawing them to fellowship. He says in Hebrews, same book, same writer. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Don't neglect the fellowship of the saints, which is the habit of some. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This fellowship is deeply important. Coming together is deeply important. And when a student says to me, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen you for a long time. Where are you going? Where are you, where are you going? I, I don't have to go to church. God can speak to me in my room. I know that they're not doing well. I know it. I can just say by the way they're, they're talking to me. I mean, getting all defensive. I just asked them a simple question. Where are you going? They don't just say, oh, nowhere. And I'm quite happy. No. They, 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 say, they say, you don't have to go anywhere. They start justifying themselves. You can see it immediately in them. They're not doing very well. This is what the body of Christ is all about. Because people check us. Because people look at us and we encourage one another. He says, as long as it is still called today so that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. In other words, we get to partake of Christ. But when we lose heart... And when we fall away, we don't get the participation of Christ anymore. We get very much salvation. But we are at the mercy of the world then when we leave. So here are the steps that are involved. I don't know if this is, if this is, uh, in this sequence, but I'll tell you what I have seen in the progression in falling away. And I tell you what I've seen in my own life as I start becoming weaker. In, 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 in my walk with God. I've seen it through many seasons in my life. Ever since I was a brand new believer. My first question to the person who shared the Lord with me after I received the Lord was, how can I maintain my relationship with God? How can I maintain this closeness? I was always fearful that I would slip back into the ways of my former life. And that rode with me for decades. Lord, am I going to move back? Lord, am I going to remain strong in this? So what happens is that you begin to get a lethargy, a lack of spiritual energy. When lethargy begins to come in, that is a first sign that we're beginning to lose this closeness with the Lord. Become lethargic in my faith. 
become weaker in my faith. And that then moves into a period of cynicism. Cynicism is, is uh, a distrust, a distrust of people. Oh, that, that guy calls himself a Christian. Not much of a Christian. <laughs> what about myself? I mean, this cynicism about the church, cynicism about the pastor, cynicism about the body of Christ. So we move from this place of being a little bit spiritually weak to a place of cynicism. And then it goes to this negativity where we start speaking against the things of God. Against the things of God. I mean, of all people to pick on. You want to pick on Jesus? You want to pick on God? I mean, what has He done? But give His Son to us. And then we get this this spirit of negativity. I know because I've experienced this. I'm telling you from experience. We go into this spirit of negativity and then to a spirit of contest. Where we start challenging those who love the Lord. If we're miserable, we want them to be miserable along with us. So we start challenging their faith. Start challenging the things that are precious to them. This spirit of contest. And then we drift into unbelief and we fall away. We drift into unbelief where we no longer believe these things and we fall away. We drift into these periods of unbelief and then we fall away. It is not that I wake up this morning and I say... I'm doing just fine, but I think I'll just fall away from Jesus. It doesn't happen that way. just doesn't happen. It is a progression. You go into these periods. So how do you battle this repression, this, this progression? The first thing you do is you repent. Repent doesn't just mean saying, I am sorry. That is the beginnings of it. But this is repentance. Repentance is you're facing this way and you, and you face this way. It is 180 degrees. Repentance is, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. I will turn a different way. Lord, I realize I am becoming lethargic in my faith. I realize, Lord, that I'm becoming cynical about everything. Everybody, it's, all, it's always somebody else's fault. Everybody, the whole world is messed up. I'm the only normal one here. When you start thinking that, you've entered this cynicism phase. Repent. You repent and you say, Lord, forgive me. And then you get, you make sure you remain in fellowship. Do not withdraw from fellowship. That is a deadly prescription. If you withdraw from fellowship, you withdraw from the very life of the body of Christ, which is there. That's why he says, he says in verse 12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. There is this constant encouragement. One of the many beautiful things about marriage is, and marriage to a believer is this, you have constant encouragement by someone else in faith. You have constant encouragement. And she is, my wife is constantly there to encourage me, to challenge me. If I come home cynical about something, if I'm cynical about the church, she'll say, oh, I have an idea. Why don't you start your own church? That way it'll be perfect. <laughs> and then I know exactly what she's talking about. And I say, okay, okay, I hear you. This is so good. You have all of this ready to... So it's right there, ready to check you, rather, ready to challenge you and to say, to bring you back to, to the right way. That is a beautiful thing about marriage. You cannot experience this 
without being married to a believer. You must be married to someone who's a believer in faith, who's a believer in Jesus to be able to have this. The encouragement that comes one from the other. Marriage is a beautiful thing. It has many, many beautiful aspects. And that's one of them that you're constantly in fellowship with somebody. And therefore, it's all the more important that as the leaders in that family, as you're going to have children, that you are constantly bringing your family into the place of fellowship in the body of Christ. A family alone will not stand. A family alone will become also fall into this falling away. Before you know it, the guy's going to be going out fishing on Sundays and and, and uh, the woman's going, well, if he's not going, then I'm not going. And it gets to be a mess. You must be in constant fellowship. So, so, so there's this fellowship. It's scripture meditation. You take the word of God and you make it a part of your life. This is what the young man told me. When I said to him, the first time, I didn't tell anybody at, when I received the Lord because I was all alone in my room. I had done exactly what he said that I should do. But I was this Jewish kid from New York City. What am I going to say? And, and for two weeks, I didn't tell anybody. And he saw me in a hallway. We lived on the same floor. And he said, Jim, have you received Jesus in your heart? I said, I think I have. Why do you ask? He said, you haven't stopped smiling for weeks. Something happened to me. And I said to him, how can I keep this sense? He said, I've asked people who drifted away from the Lord, were you reading your Bible every day? And they said, no. And I asked people who remain close to the Lord. I said, do you read your Bible every day? And they say, yes. And so then I said, that I can do. That's digital. You know, digital I understood. Zero one. You don't read your Bible, you're going to fall away. You do, you'll stay close to the Lord. And I started meditating on the Word of God. And not exactly at that time, but shortly after that time, I started reading the Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. I'd start in Genesis chapter 1, and I'd just pick up reading where I left off the next day. And I'd get through to Revelation chapter 22 when I was done. I would start again, and I've been doing that for almost 40 years. Just going through this cycle and I say, Lord, speak to me through the scriptures. So meditation is different than reading. Some people just plow through. I I read seven chapters today. I'm like, and I bet you got nothing out of it. You cannot get anything when you're doing speed reading of the scriptures. That's not the way it works. That is not the way it works. There is this coming before the word of God and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me through this passage. Speak to me. And this is what I do. I get with the Word of God. I say, Lord, speak to me. Bring me new life. And you, you, you read the Scriptures, and then all of a sudden your eyes are going to be caught on a certain passage, on a certain verse. You say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, is there something here? I'm not seeing it. Lord, speak to me. And you read it over and over again, and the little bits of something start coming. And then the next day, start reading that passage again. Lord, you were speaking to me. There's something here. Lord, speak to me. And then, boom, all more and more and more is revealed. And you're like, wow. Whoa. I never knew that. Has anyone ever saw th- seen this before, you think? I'm the first one in the Bible I ever see this. <laughs> Reading the Bible. I mean, this is amazing. God reveals these things to you. This is what Scripture meditation does. And you can go into your own personal devotional time like a weakling, and you come out like a roaring lion. I'm ready to take on the world. The scriptures lift us up. The scriptures raise our faith. There is promise upon promise for daily meditation. Psalm chapter 1, Psalm 112, uh, uh, Psalm Psalm 119, verse 97 through 100. Again and again, 
promises, if we will meditate on the scriptures day and night, make it our daily meditation, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, the promises that come by daily meditation, no promise, there is no promise for meditation on the word of God three days a week or four days a week, it is every day. There is no promise. Now, maybe there's a blessing, maybe there isn't, I don't know. But it is only in everyday meditation that there's a promise. You do not have to fear falling away if you're daily in the Scriptures. That I know, because if you're daily in the Scriptures, you're going to be in fellowship, because you're going to have to tell somebody the stuff that you're getting. And I know that if students will understand what meditation on the Scriptures is all about that you don't need me anymore in the sense that once you graduate, I'm not worried about you. If you know how to daily meditate in the scriptures, you're going to be okay. And then the other thing is learning how to fast and pray. When, when I start feeling that place of lethargy and I start becoming cynical, I will go into a season of fasting. Fasting means not eating, but it does not include not eating between breakfast and lunch. That's not what I'm talking about. All right? It's skipping several meals so that you're going to feel it. You say, well, what does that do? I don't know. I understood fasting. Well, the Bible is talks about fasting all the time. So God maybe knows something about this more than you do. When you go for a season without food and you say, Lord, speak to my life. It is misery being without food. I hate not eating. I don't like it. But that's not what it's all about. I want to get back in this closeness with God. And you go into a season of fasting, you get headaches, my bones ache and everything. But what happens generally is when I come out of that season of fasting, there is this enormous closeness with the Lord, an amazing closeness that occurs. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to close with this in Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to start reading from verse 1. We just want to see the rewards of this closeness with God. He doesn't want us to be without this closeness. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Look, it's not an issue of salvation. You're not going to lose your salvation. But you're not going to be a partaker of Christ. You're not going to have the fellowship of God if you start drifting away. If you think you can go back into the world, you're going to lose that closeness. Look at the closeness. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Look where he starts. Let your heart keep my commandments. You get in the word of God, you understand the commandments of God. Here's the result. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. You get in the scriptures, you follow his commandments, they're going to give you a long life and peace. Now, you may die tomorrow, but you're going to die in peace. I don't know how long you're going to live, but there's promises here of peace. You want peace in your life? I've never met anybody who said they didn't want peace in their life. He gives you peace when you're in the scriptures. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on your tablet of your heart. So if you will walk in kindness and truth, if you will walk in kindness and truth, here's what he says is going to happen. Verse 4, So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. You want favor at work? You want favor at school? You want favor among your peers? You speak kindness and you be truthful. If you speak words of kindness and be truthful, you'll never have to go, oh, why did I say that? Oh, man, I just made such a fool of myself. And I know that because I've made such a fool of myself so many times. You speak kindness and truth. And you will find favor with your boss. You'll find favor with your professors. You'll find favor with your friends. There's a promise here. And you find favor with God. 
Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Man, it's much easier to run down a straight path. Much easier to run down a straight path. I don't want, I don't want obstacles in my way. It's much easier. God says that he, you do this and you'll be blessed. In verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So he says, don't think that you got it all together. Uh, um, we had this neighbor once, and, and uh, his name was Billy Wise. And I talked to Billy about things. He said, well, you've got to take care of yourself, man. You've got to take care of yourself. Some people are afraid to take risks. You've got to take risks. My daughters are standing there with me, and I, they said, what's his, that man's name? I said, his name is Billy Wise in your own eyes. <laughs> Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. You want healing to your body and refreshment to your bones? Do this. Fear God and turn away from evil. You fear God and you turn away from evil. There are things you don't do because of the fear of God. And you turn away from evil. You take this word, you make it your meditation, and peace comes. This is what he's telling them. You want peace in your life? You've got to have Christ. Don't slip away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your mercies and your grace. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, I pray for these young people that today, if they hear his voice, that they would not harden their hearts. Father, for those here that have sensed a hardening in their own hearts, where they have, have drifted in this, this, this place of lethargy or cynicism. Father, if they've, they've moved into a phase of negativity and unbelief, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, that you would draw them back. Father, that they would go into a season of fasting and prayer, that they would not neglect fellowship. Father, draw them back, I pray. Draw them into a place of coming before your word and reading the scriptures and meditating upon the scriptures. Father, draw them back, I pray. Lord, have mercy upon these young people. Lord, I pray that they would take hold of your word this day, and make it a daily pattern of meditation on your word, saying, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to my heart. Father, do this in their young lives, I pray, that it would start a pattern of peace in their lives. Father, I pray that you draw many of them into a place of a good marriage to a believer who can encourage them in faith. Father, that right within their own home, they would have this constant fellowship and encouragement. Father, I pray that you'd give them an understanding of the body of Christ, of the need for fellowship. Father, protect them, I pray. Lord, for those here who do not know you, for those here who can't understand what the power of the Spirit is in one's life, Father, I pray that this day they would pray, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Fill me by the blood of Jesus. Wash me clean because Jesus has risen from the dead. Father, I pray that this day you would bring salvation into their lives and that today, if they hear his voice, they would not harden their hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.